Good morning. Uh, we are in a, a series called Stranger Beliefs, and, and the big idea of this series is that we want to take a look at the beliefs uh, of Christianity that, that people find strange, they find difficult to process, and today we are going to look at the mother of them all. It's this idea of exclusive beliefs. Uh, one of the big questions that's being out, asked is, how could you possibly claim that your truth or what you believe is the one true belief. Uh, this is a matter of enormous concern in our culture. Uh, it peaked probably about three or four years after 9-11, and it still stayed up there, if not gone higher. And this is interesting, because if you were to ask people 30, 40 years ago, what is the number one cause uh, for uh, strife in the world? What's the, what's the number one barrier uh, to world peace, they would have said political ideology, you know, the Cold War, capitalism versus communism, Rocky versus Drago, you know, you put down your gun, I'll put down my gun. It was this, it was that idea. But today, if you were to ask people the same question, they would say the main barrier to peace is religion, especially religious exclusivity. Almost everyone is pointing the finger at religion. You know, you read a book, you pick up uh, a newspaper, uh, you know, look online, t uh, talk show hosts, TV, movie, they all say religion is a problem. It's divisive. It, it causes uh, violence and, and oppression. And I don't know if this will surprise you or not, uh, but, I, but actually I agree with that. And, uh, you know, maybe you saw me with a handheld mic, and you're like, man, somebody's going to preach at me today because he's got the handheld. But uh, that's not, I actually agree with that. I, I think religion has a very strong tendency to divide people. It has a very strong uh, tendency to cause strife. And religion can and actually has led all the way to marginalization and oppression and even violence. Because if you think about it, any group that says, hey, yeah, we've got the truth. Here's the truth, and this, this is the truth, and the, and the way... Uh, that you become a whole person, the way that you become a better person, saved, whatever you want to call it, is that you have to perform this truth. This will most undoubtedly lead to a feeling of, of being superior to those who don't meet that standard. If you meet that standard or some version of that standard, then you're going to look down on people who don't. And this tends to lead to separation. Uh, this tends to, for you to pull away from people who, of inferior moral attainment. This causes you to want not be in a relationship with them. That leads to stereotypes. And eventually, uh, you're able to dehumanize them and vilify them, which can and often does lead to uh, marginalizing them and oppressing them. And they're just oodles and oodles and oodles of examples of this. And so if you're one of those, like, you know, we need to limit religion. We need to limit the division that religion has caused. There are a couple of strategies um, uh, that, that people have employed, and maybe you have too. And, and the first one is that this has caused many people to assert the idea that all truth claims are equal, that all religions are equal, um, that there's no religious belief that's superior to another. Uh, and so here's what they'll say. We all have to agree with this. We all have to agree that all religions are equally valid. We all need to agree that all paths lead to God, that all religions are fundamentally the same and they're only superficially different. They're fundamentally the same but superficially different. All religions are equal. And then there's a popular parable that, that, that goes along with this, and you've may, maybe you've heard this parable. If not, this is, it's simple. That's how it goes. It's, just, uh, it's three blind men. And they all have their hand on a different part of this elephant. And one man, has, the first man, has his hand on the tail. And he says, elephants are long and wiggly. Elephants are long and wiggly. And then, but there's a second blind man who has his hand on the, on, the side of, on, the, on the side of the elephant. 
And he says, no, 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 you're wrong. Your, your, your idea is excluded. Elephants are flat and big. And then a third guy has his hand on one of the legs. So no, 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 you both are excluded. It's not long and wiggly. It's not flat and big. It's short and round and stiff. And so these three blind men begin to argue with each other, and they, be, and they begin to say, no, this is what an elephant's like. This is what an elephant's like, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and da-da-da-da-da. And of course, the moral of that story, the moral of that parable is that that is what religion is like, that that. Every religion is both, uh, has a piece of the truth. Um, they, they can see part of the truth, but they can't see the whole part of the truth. And so um, all religions are, have a piece of the truth, but no religion has all of the truth. So we shouldn't argue about religions. Um, we should, there, there can be no one true religion, so therefore I rest my case, as so they would say. Now there's a guy named Leslie New, Newbegin, who is a, he's an Englishman. He was a missionary, a Christian missionary to India. And uh, in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society, talks about how he was told that parable over and over and over and over and over again. Until one day, he, it hit him. Uh, and he hit him with this idea, with the question. He's like, who is the storyteller? If we are all blind and nobody knows better than anyone else, who is this person outside the story who isn't blind, who can see the whole elephant? Clearly, that can't be you and I, because you and I can only see part of the truth. We can't see all the truth. Leslie Newbegin then began to realize that the only person who could say that everyone can have part of the truth, but not the whole truth, sees the whole truth. In other words, in order to tell this story, you are claiming to do the very thing that you are telling everybody else they can't do. To claim that all religions are equal is to say that you have a claim to have a superior vantage point than all other religious vantage points. In other words, everyone else is blind, but you see. Everyone else, see, the only way to know that everyone else only has a part of the truth, but not all of the truth, is to see the whole truth. Everyone else is blind, but you see. Saying there is no such thing as an exclusive truth claim is an exclusive truth claim that puts you above everyone else. So that doesn't really work if you follow the logic. The second one, though, is like, okay, fine, you can believe whatever you want to believe. The second strategy people have, okay, I, okay there, maybe there are exclusive claims, but just keep it to yourself. Just keep, you know, religion is to stay private. And uh, when it comes into public space, let's just talk about strategies at work. Let's just talk about, you know, let's be pragmatic about it. Keep religious ideologies in the, pri in the private realm because nobody can, nobody can approve a, you know, a faith-based assumption. And so don't, let's not talk about anything based upon faith-based assumptions. And the moment you, you take your truth and, and you bring it out and say, this is what everyone should believe, in that moment you become intolerant, misguided, if not immoral. And so this one has holes in it as well. And let me give you an example. I went to Mizzou, I'm a, a, a Mizzou a tiger, and there was this place where anyone who had an idea that they wanted to share, they went to this one place. It was outside the library, Ellis Library at 9th and Conley, if you're from there. If that's, it was a long time ago, so hopefully it still exists. So anyway... Um, and so at this place, people would come and they would just kind of, you know, share their ideas. And there was, I don't know if there, there was a, a soapbox per se, but there was a little place where people could share their ideas. And almost certainly, at least once or twice a week, there would be Christian Bullhorn guy. 
And so Christian Bullhorn guy would get up and he would talk about, you know, what he believed. And, and just to, as a side note, I, I think that, that it more than likely does more harm than good going about that strategy. But that's not the point. Um, so this guy is screaming out his belief and people start to gather around and start protesting this guy. And the people who are protesting Bullhorn Guy are handing out pamphlets that essentially, that essentially say the Bullhorn Guy has no right to put his beliefs on other people. And at the bottom of their pamphlet uh, uh, against people publicly professing Christian views is this sentence, in Bull, don't evangelize, all faiths are equally valid as religions. Now, as a 19-year-old religiously ambivalent kid, and I'll say that, kid, I could even see the irony in that statement. So you're telling people that their religion is wrong like I'm telling you what you believe is wrong. You shouldn't be, pro you shouldn't be, so they're, they're, they're saying that like, you shouldn't be telling, I'm tell you shouldn't be telling people that what they believe is wrong like I am telling you what you believe is wrong. You shouldn't be telling people not to evangelize people like I am evangelizing people. And so what people really mean is like everybody, everybody, everybody else needs to keep their views private, but me, a Western, enlightened, individualistic thinker, my views are welcomed. Because what is religion? Well, some say, well, religion is, is a, it's a group of people who gather uh, with perform services in a cathedral or a synagogue, but that's just like a surface level. What I mean, you get underneath that. What is religion? Religion is this. Religion is a set of answers to the big questions of life, like why am I here? Uh, what's wrong with uh, what's wrong with humanity? What's going to fix humanity? Uh, and those answers, those set of answers, are religious beliefs. Those are faith-based assumptions. And we all have faith-based assumptions. We all, whatever we believe is wrong with human beings is a faith. You can't prove it, per se. You can point to statistics, but everybody can do that. It's a faith-based assumption. Michael Perry, who's a legal expert on church and state law at Wake Forest University, says this. To say religious reasoning is to be kept out of the public square because it's faith-based and controversial is itself a faith-based statement, which is incredibly controversial. Therefore, on its own terms, should be thrown out. You get, get what he's saying? He's saying that anytime you say that religious reasoning is to be kept out of a public square, that in and of itself is a faith-based statement. It's saying this is the way society should be. Well, says who? Well, says me. So my views count and your views don't. And so, that, and so you can go round and round and round no matter what we talk about because you can't avoid, when it comes to making public policy, you can't avoid bringing in your faith-based assumption, whether that is um, a religion we all know about, whether that's just a religious moralism or that's secular humanism or whatever it is. We all come to the table with faith-based assumptions. So for example... If you are a Western individualistic person, when it comes to making laws on divorce, you think the purpose of marriage is personal happiness. It's personal happiness with the, the adults involved. 
And so if any, at any time any one of those adults isn't happy anymore, you want to have laws that would make divorce very easy. But if you come from a more, you know, typically Eastern, a more traditional background, you would say the purpose of marriage is creating a safe environment for children. And so you would want to make divorce laws very difficult. And we both come to the table. I'm not make, we're not talking about divorce today, by the way. But what I'm saying is that you're both coming to the table with your view of how humanity thrives and doesn't thrive. One is preferring the individual. The other one is preferring the family. So you're going to come at things at two, two, two totally different angles. Where are we? Um, some of you are like, where are we? What's the point? Um, here's the, let, me, let me tell you. Here's the, this is all I'm trying to say. Every religious viewpoint is exclusive of every viewpoint. And we all have them. We all have it. We all have, a, we all have a viewpoint that is exclusive of other people's viewpoint. And we all think our viewpoint is better, even when you say, and perhaps especially when you say, no one should have an t- exclusive take on spiritual reality, isn't in itself an exclusive take on spiritual reality that you think is superior. And when you say no one should convert other people to, re- to their religious ideology, is your attempt to convert other people to your religious ideology. So here's the real question. So we all have this. My only point is we're all on the same playing field here. We all have exclusive beliefs. We all think our ideas are better than everyone. Any, fill in the blank. We all think our ideas are better than other people. And they're all based upon faith-based assumptions that you cannot prove empirically. So what am I saying? Here's the real question. This is the real question. So let's not waste time answering that question. Here's the real question. The real question is, which beliefs, which set of exclusive beliefs create the most loving, inclusive, peaceful behavior? Because the problem that people have with exclusive beliefs is they think it leads, because oftentimes it does, to living non-loving, exclusive non-peaceful behavior. But even if you say Christian to the Christian or the Muslim, you have exclusive beliefs, but I, you really don't know yourself. We're all saying we all, we all have exclusive beliefs that we think is better than everyone else, but the real thing is which set of exclusive beliefs is going to produce the most loving, the most inclusive, the most peaceful behavior. One of the things it says in 1 John 4, uh, verses... Uh, verse, on, you can read verses 1 through 10, but in, in, in verse, uh, verse 1, it says that we have to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And in verse 5, he says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. What is he saying? He's saying that there are a lot of voices out there claiming to be from God and present themselves from God, but not all are from God, and we have to test them. So when we hear people say, or maybe you've said, you know, I, I, you, know you shouldn't have exclusive beliefs. Uh, well, you have an exclusive belief. You just haven't realized it yet. But you do. We all do. So don't feel bad about it. If, you, if you're one of those that just realized you have an exclusive belief and you didn't realize it, don't feel bad. We're all on the same point, the same boat, I should say, and that's not my point anyway. My point is to say, What will give you the power 
to live the most inclusive, self-sacrificing, peacemaking, love-saturated life. And I want to submit to you a third strategy for that, which isn't to say all religions are equal. It's not to say just keep it private. But it's, it's, to, it's to realize we all have exclusive beliefs. And I want to submit to you that the Christian gospel, the things that are unique to the Christian gospel, the things that are exclusive to the Christian gospel, when we take on that dynamic, that will create the most inclusive, self-sacrificing, peacemaking, and love-saturated life. And I know you don't believe me, but give me a second. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that's exclusive to Christianity that will, that's going to help you, give you that power. Here's the first thing. This is what Jesus says, and we're in John um, 18, verses, uh, this, is probably, this is verse 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Now, this is, this is a statement that nobody else can make except God. The first one you and I can say, which is, for this reason we were born, we were all born. We can all say that part, right? We can all say that we were born, but we can't say the second part. What's the second part? For this reason, I came into the world. Nobody else can say that. Nobody else can say that, 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 I, that we entered the, the world. This, this is even a, a bigger contrast when you look at how the, the Greek plays it out. It talks about, like, in coming into the world, saying that it's coming from outside of history. It's coming from outside of the world. It's coming from outside the normal ebb and flow of the world. Looking And, and this, is, this is Jesus looking down into the world and saying, okay, now I'm going to go in. So this is Jesus outside the world. So he's not just saying, I was born, which he was. He's saying, I'm from out of this world, and I have come into this world. This is something that you and I can't say. You and I had no control over when we came to the world. Your daddy came home with flowers one day, and your mom turned on some music, maybe some Marvin Gaye, maybe some Lionel Richie. I don't know when you were born. Maybe if, if you're from the 20s, maybe it's a boys to men. If you're a teenager, maybe it's Nora Jones. I don't know, but some music was playing. Your dad made his move, and that's how you were born. You had no control in that scenario. But Jesus is saying, I'm from outside of this world, and I have come into this world. And this is one of the exclusive claims of Christianity that if you follow it, is going to really, really help you, give you the power to live the kind of life that, you, that we all hope um, to live. Um, and that is this, that Jesus See, all religions have a human founder that teach you human behavior to attain heaven or some preferred way of living. But Christianity is God came into the world. God came into flesh. Every religion says if you work really hard, you can get from earth to heaven, whatever their version of heaven is. In Christianity, heaven has come to earth. In every religion, it's, it's man trying to, like, get to God. In Christianity, it's God coming to man. Absolutely exclusive. From, it's an exclusive belief from all other religions. No other religions claims that. But the beauty in that is that not that you and I have to perform the truth because we can't. We, there's, no, there's no ladder tall enough. But the beauty in the gospel is that God came to us knowing that we could never, ever, ever make it to him. Now, 
there's a second little thing I want to show you. It says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, check this out, to bear witness to the truth. Now, and I've come to, re- to reveal to you a series of moral religious truths that's, that are right and everyone else should listen and abide by. That's not what he says here. Uh, if, if that's all he said, that would not be very controversial. It's not very controversial to say, here's some truths that everybody should live by. I mean, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I'm not very persuaded by moral teaching. I am very persuaded and compelled by God. So he didn't say, I- I've come so that you may know, you know, a version of the truth. He's saying, I have come to bear witness to capital T truth. I have come out from outside of the world into the world. Tomorrow isn't just something I know about. Tomorrow is where I am. For this reason, I've come to this world to bear witness to the truth. Okay, what truth is he bearing witness to? So what is he talking about? What is, what is, what is the truth? Well, if you read on the, in the text... Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified, although he found no fault in him, and there was no fault to him. Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that everybody thinks we should live, and no one lives that life. But he took on this flesh, he lived the perfect life, and he went to the cross to die for those who cannot obey the rules, who are not very moral, who are not very good, who are not very loving. And this is huge, because... You see, the real, the real thing, the real issue people have with intolerant, exclusive beliefs is they think that it will lead to intolerant, exclusive lives. And I get that, because if you, if you believe in kind of this moralistic thinking that if I, if I perform the truth, if I behave, then, then I'll be accepted. If you live by any kind of standard on the way, you know, so if you think this is how you ought to live, if anyone ever says that this is, this is what you ought to do, that is a, that is a code, that is a religious moralistic standard, and if if somebody doesn't live up to that code, it does create intolerance. It does create, you have to, you have to look down on other people if you are the ones who are performing that truth, if you believe that way, whether that's moralistic religion or secular humanism. They're both there, and that's where we're at in our culture. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Um, Well, the way the news is these days, it forces you to pay attention. So what you've got, you've got people primarily in rural areas who are good folk, and they take pride in being good folk. And those uh, city people, uh, those liberal city people who, you know, this cultural elite group of people, they look down upon, they scorn, and they want somebody to get them. And then you've got the cultural elite who are looking down at these country bumpkins, these big idiots who who don't know anything. And it's all cats and dogs out there, to quote Bill Murray. <laughs> Ghostbusters, 1984. <laughs> it's, it's all cats. It's all fighting each other. So you've got, you've got this, this religious moralism, and you've got this secular humanism, and they are both exclusive religious beliefs that are based upon a code, a way of living, that if you don't live up to that standard, then you're less than. And if, you, if, you're one, if you're in one of those categories and you haven't thought of it that way, you just haven't thought deeply enough. I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying, like, that's where that goes. That's not, that's not what Jesus did for it. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that you're not saved because you're wise. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because you're moral. You're not saved because you're 
perform the truth. You're saved because Jesus performed the truth. You don't receive salvation by believing that you're better than anyone else. You receive salvation by humbly admitting that you're not better than anyone, by admitting that you've messed things up and you need help. You need help. Therefore, those who take the gospel at the center of their lives do not go around feeling like they're superior to everyone else. They don't walk around looking to judge others to exclude because that is the exact opposite of what Jesus did. That is the exact opposite of the message of the gospel. The gospel humbles you before God and humbles you before people who don't agree with you and leads you to be inclusive and not hate them but actually lay down your life for them. Let me apply this for two different groups of people. I want to apply it um, to Christians first, and I'll apply it to those who are skeptics of Christians. Christians, this means that we don't have to fight back when we're hard-pressed. The, the message of, of the gospel means that we don't have to fight back when we're hard-pressed. Jesus said in verse 36, he answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, but they're not fighting. In fact, when they try to fight, when Peter cut off the guy's ear, Jesus like, put your sword away. See, Peter's just like you and I, flying off the handle, not understanding what Jesus is doing. Don't really understand the gospel, even though we've received the gospel. We've received it, but we don't always understand it. So we're like Peter, and we try to cut people's ears off. Jesus is like, no, that's not what I've come to do. I've not come. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, his, my servants would have been fighting. And the fact that Jesus is in chains is not bad timing here, guys. Uh, no one's, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. He did not need anyone to fight for him in the presence of soldiers, and he doesn't need anyone to fight for him in the presence of skeptics. I believe that he would call those of us who claim the name of Christ to tolerate religious pluralism in, the, in this life, be, not in spite of Jesus, but because of Jesus, the source of all truth, that one day that any force uh, that does not bow a knee, he will bow a knee so we can make space for religious pluralism, not in spite of the fact that Jesus is Lord, but because Jesus is Lord. Since Christ and Christ alone has the final right to destroy his enemies and he will destroy his enemies, Christianity will spread in this age, in this age, not through defending Christ, but dying with Christ so that others might live. The final triumph of the crucified Christ is a call to patient suffering, not political success, not winning a debate on a college campus, not winning an argument with a peer, and certainly not carrying any kind of hostility toward anyone. Romans 12 says this, repay no evil for evil. Let me just say that again. Repay no evil for evil. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. Of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. There was a time in the life of Jesus where he and his boys uh, were headed to a town that had rejected him. Anybody ever be rejected because of the name of Jesus? Everybody ever be rejected because of that? They were rejected, they were scorned, they were told, 
their views weren't allowed in schools. They were told all different kinds of things. They were told they weren't included. So they're like, hey, Jesus, should we like call fire and burn them up? Should we do that? No. In case anybody's wondering. <laughs> no, we shouldn't do that. He says that's not the spirit. That's not in the spirit of who you are. That is not who you are. Come, he says, walk with me toward Jerusalem. Let me show you. Let me show you the spirit from which I come. There are other villages to reach. Come with me. Come walk with me. Come pick up your cross and die and walk with me. Let me show you what my kingdom is like. And they're just like, well, can't you just tell us what your kingdom is like? He says, okay. He says this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds. Remember what we talked about 1 John 4, 1, that there's spirits. You have to test the spirits. They're out there. They're working. The world he- It's from the world, so the world hears it and listens to what those spirits say. So the enemy has come in, sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. Anybody who has, uh, if you own your house, you got a garden or whatever, if you just leave that unattended, guess what you'll have the most of? It won't be flowers. It will be weeds. They are stronger. They are taller. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed? What's going on? I mean, I thought, I thought you were on the throne, Jesus. I thought you were alive in this world. Why, why do we see all these weeds everywhere in our culture? He said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go pull those weeds out? Jesus, there, there are Eastern religions that are infiltrating my campus. Do you want me to debate them? There are, there's, a, there's Muslims moving into my neighborhood. Should I move out? Lord, my enlightened, secular, humanistic co-worker is consistently blaspheming your name and belittling your glory. Should I go tell my boss to have him stop? But he said no. Verse 29, but he said no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together. Let them both grow. Both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat in my barn. There will be a day where every knee will bow. There is a, there is a, we talked about this last week, there is, a, there is a judgment day. But right here, right now, is not that day. And that's grace for anyone who's yet to believe he, there will be a day where he will send, we know from other scriptures, angels out into the world. Just like he says here. But for Christians, how do we respond then? How do we respond in this religious pluralism? Number one, expect it and don't think of it as a bad thing. Jesus is on the throne. That just means that more and more, more and more of culture is coming to us and we have this opportunity all things are under his dominion. Um, there, will, there will be a day where every knee will bow, but it's not your and I's responsibility to make sure that they bow. 
We don't make people bow the knee. That's not our, that's not our responsibility. Our call is to do what Jesus did. Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve and to pour my life out as a ransom for many. Your call, my call, our call together is to lay down our lives sacrificially, not to try to get rid of the bad stuff around us, but to be, to be that seed, to allow our lives to grow up. And people will ask, you live this life, you lay down your life and serve. They're going to be like, I know Christians, and you're not one of them. Because Christians are always arguing and imposing their will and interested in political power. But you just seem to love and serve me and lay down your life for me. And what's going on with you? And then that's your cue to say, well, you want to know about that? That's Jesus. He died for me. I didn't deserve it, but he died for me. In fact, I thought I was, I, I, I'm morally bankrupt. I'm spiritually bankrupt. But he came and paid the price for me so I could live this new life. And when he saved me, he didn't condemn me. But he came alongside, and he's been with me ever since. And that's what you can do. How do you do that? You remember the gospel. Our culture looks down on people who have exclusive beliefs because they believe it will lead to exclusive lives. But at the center of the gospel is a man on a cross loving people who didn't love him. The center of the gospel is a man dying for his enemies. In Jesus, ultimate reality becomes visible. And he didn't come to exert power over people who didn't believe like him, but humbly serve them and die for them. And your call and my call is to do this very same thing. And when you take this gospel at the center of your being, you'll be anything but self-righteous and bigoted. But what will happen, you'll be, it will become like what you see this church in Acts. See, when this church, when this church gave birth, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a highly pluralistic society. And the New Testament church, their message was very exclusive. You can read this all throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 4, I mean, they came out right and said it. There is no name by which men can be saved except Jesus. And you go on and you read in, in, the, in the, what's called the epistles, these letters, and specifically in Colossians 3. And their mantra, their motto was, Christ is all. And yet, they, they had this very, very set of exclusive beliefs. But if you look at their lives, they were very, very inclusive. See, the Jews would not, would not mix races, but Christians did. The Greeks would not mix different classes, but the Christians did. They created a society that the world had never seen, to where when people looked, there's no, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no male or no female, but all are in Christ. Christ is all and all are in Christ. They created the most radically inclusive community. And one day when we get to heaven, what it says in Revelation, it says that there will be a person from every tribe and every tongue. Everybody gets in on this. Everybody is included. There's no religious system or ideology that includes every tongue every tribe. But in the Christian gospel, it includes everyone, everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. 
You mean be like a really good person and go to church, that kind of thing? No, no, no. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, who puts their trust not in what they do, but in what Jesus has done on their behalf. Now, I want to close by addressing those of us who may be skeptics. If you're a a skeptic, you're part of this religious group that sociologists refer to as the nons. Uh, you're, you're, you're not anything. You're, you're like, you've got too much of God in you to be happy with the world, but too much of the world in you to be happy with God. You're kind of in this ambivalent place. And if that's you, Pilate is your guy. Pilate is your guy. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? What's truth? What do you mean capital T truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no fault in him. He was playing the middle. Pilate was no enemy of Jesus. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to crucify him. You're not going to crucify Jesus. You're not going to blot. You're not going to be overt about this. But he, was, he wasn't for him either. He was going to give in to what the crowd said. He felt like that was a safe place. And perhaps you feel like that's a safe place to be. Pilate felt like it was a safe place. But historically, um, three years from when Pilate said that he would take his own life. And I'm just speaking historically here. I'm not, I'm not preaching. I mean, you can Google it and check it out for yourself. Three or four years from when he said that he would take his life. And I just wanted to end differently for Pilate. When I read this story, every time I read this story, I just wanted to end differently. I mean, he was so close. I mean, have you ever watched a movie where you're like, yeah, I just want this movie to end differently? <laughs> or you're watching a game and the ball goes this way. And if it just would have went that way, the, you know, the other team would have won. It was that close for him. It was that close for him. That's what we see here in the text. And I just want to plead with Pilate. I just want to take him to coffee. I just want to say, because he's a skeptic, he's seen the empire, which is pretty much the known world at this point. He's seen all the religious sects and all the weirdness that was out there. In fact, there was just hundreds of gods in this culture. I mean, they had a god for everything. They had a god of thunder, god of fire, god of wheat. And this God slept with this God's wife, and they had a baby together, and the other God was furious about it and ate the baby. And if you think I'm making this up, I really am not. It is true. But he just saw this constant fighting and bickering and sacrificing and bloodshed over religion. And he had grown cynical. He had grown hard. He had grown skeptical. I can understand how that can happen. And maybe you've grown hard and cynical. You've grown cynical because of institutional church. You were burned by the church. Somebody said something. You experienced something. I mentioned divorce earlier. Maybe your parents got divorced and it just, you got, it all went sideways from there. And you're just like, anytime you hear it, you're like, I don't know that I want to go against it, but I'm not sure that I want to go for it. And you're like, Pilate, what is, what is truth? What are you talking about? I mean, Pilate's hurting. This is the last thing he wants to hear. Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. Pilate can't hear anymore. And maybe you're in the same place. You can't hear anymore. Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And he was standing right in front of him. He was so close. And I so wanted it indifferently for him. And I so want it to end differently for you because you don't know how close you are to the truth. See, one of the things the Bible says at any time that we gather in his name and we have gathered in his name, he's there with us in a unique way. And he's here 
this morning in a unique way. You want to know what truth is? He's in the room. Now, Pilate's answer was, oh, great, a bunch of crazy religious people again, and he misses it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. And here's the good news. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take the Bible's word for it. Because one of the things the Bible does say for us is to taste and see that the Lord is good. That he invites you not into a preferred moral code. He invites you into relationship with him. You see, we're all in the same place. We're all in a pit. We're all in a mess. And what the, what the religious moralist will do when he walks by you and sees you in your pit will say, you know what? If you would have lived like me, you wouldn't be in the pit and you would go on and you hate that guy. But then the secular humanist comes by and says, who told you you're in a pit? You're not in a pit. And if you are in a pit, the pit's awesome. I love the pit. You're awesome. He walks away and you're still in the pit. Jesus comes by. He sees you in the pit. He gets down in that pit. And at the cost of his life, he gets you out when he raises to new life and he walks with you from now into eternity. Jesus is not standing over you saying, I did it, why can't you? He knows that you can't. And he offers himself to you this morning. Come to me, he says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't miss him. He's right here. He's right here. When we stand.